following audio is from Deering Christian Church. Join us Sunday mornings at either 9 or 10.30 a.m. You guys have heard me talk about in these terms before. Now, this is not typically a vacation time of year uh, for my family, although we have gone to Colorado this time of year before for maybe a ski trip or something like that. But, but typically, when we think of vacation, we think of, of summertime. That's kind of where it is. Um, and... Hopefully this year might be able to do a little something along those lines. But there are times when I feel like, and I don't know if I'm the only one, but when I feel like I get back from vacation and I need to take a vacation from my vacation. You understand what I'm saying here? You know, the purpose of vacation is to get away and to rest. And yet sometimes I'll be straight. I don't come back too rested. That's just the way it is. Now, now, I still think vacations are very valuable and rest is something too big to be defined by physical and or mental R&R. A little bit of resting and relaxation. That being said, now listen to me, families. That being said, if vacation is merely a bringer of stress, maybe I need to evaluate my vacation just a little bit. Now, for the Jewish population of Jesus, his day, and I'm talking about his days here in this, in this world as a human being. Now, every day is Jesus' day because he's God. He's always existed. But here as a human, when he walked here um, amongst us some almost 2,000 years ago, the people of his day, the Jewish people of his day, they could readily understand what I just spoke about, but they would remove the word vacation from that explanation, and they would replace it with a different word, and that word was Sabbath. The Sabbath. All right, we're going to dig into this just a little bit, and, and, and for, just, for just a moment, a little historical perspective that's going to help us dive into the topic of rest. Um, the Hebrew verb that is translated as rest, it is this, it is Shabbath, Shabbath. That is the word. This word is found in Genesis chapter 2. And what's taking place there is you have God speaking to life everything. The creative, the creative exposition, what he did. And we have the explanation of it right there in Genesis. why it's called beginnings. And, and it says that after he spoke creation into existence, everything we see and everything beyond even what we see, after he spoke that all into existence and brought that about, it says in Genesis chapter 2 that God rested. Shabbath. Now there's not much about rest in our Bibles for a while after that, except for one. This is just a side note, kind of interesting. A guy by the name of Noah, he kind of is a pretty important character in the book of Genesis in the beginnings, and Noah's name meant rest. That's what his name. Matter of fact, his father said when he was born, he will bring us rest. And I was like, he must have been the firstborn to think that his child was going to bring him rest. Yeah, right. You hear me, parents? All right, anyway, okay. So, so you see a little bit of it right there, but then you don't see much about rest again until Exodus chapter 16. And when you get into Exodus, and that's a little closer to where we're going to be today, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 20, but in Exodus chapter 16, we see for the first time a word with a little bit different connotation, a Hebrew word of Shabbath. Remember the first one that meant rest was Shabbath. This one is Shabbath. This would, over time, become Shabbat. 
And it's what we have and what we gather from in our language, the Sabbath. Now, I've told you, um, I'm a big fan of the, the series. Now, I've only seen one part of it. The next, one's, the next series is still coming, and that is The Chosen. Okay? And I'm a big fan of it. I've told many of you, go out, download that app, watch it. I mean, it is powerful. And one of, in that first season, one of the episodes is actually entitled Shabbat. And watching that episode, you will see what the Sabbath meant to the people of Judaism, the Jewish people. Okay, let's take a look at Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20 is is a landmark part of our Bible because in Exodus 20, we see the law brought to us through Moses by God. We, We call it the Ten Commandments. And the Sabbath is a part of that. We're gonna read verse eight and next couple of verses after it. Exodus 20, verse eight. This is what it says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. Now catch this. You or your son or your daughter or your male or female servants or your cattle or the sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that was in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You see, God set a precedent. Now I've got a question for you folks. Do you really think that the God of everything in his creative power, incredible, I mean we call his power omnipotence, that means all-powerful. And do you really think God needed to rest after he created everything? I mean, seriously. We're talking about God here. No, he did not. And neither did Jesus, as we will see soon, or his religious contemporaries. They did not believe that in any way. You see, God put the Sabbath into place as a gift to his creation, specifically his people. That's why he put it into place. And this is why Jesus, when he came, got so fired up about the religious leaders' institution of the Sabbath, the way that they made people observe it. Did you see what that said in verse 10 of Exodus 20? Did you catch that? That's a pretty exhaustive list of those who were to rest on the Sabbath. You are too. Husbands, wives, Mothers, fathers, and children say amen to this. Sons and daughters. Yeah, you hear that, mom and dad? Rest. Uh Uh-huh. Or did you catch what came after that? Your slaves. They had slaves. They had servants. And after that, um, your livestock. After that, if there's a stranger from another land in your home, they are to rest as well. It was for everyone. And it was hugely important to the Jewish people. Let me tell you just how important it was. Now, a little bit more of a history lesson here, okay? The first five books we have of our New Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we call it Bible. That's just what we call it. If we were Orthodox Jews, we would call it something a little bit different. We would call it the Torah. It's the law. It's the written word of God. The written law. Now, this is something that the Jews, that the Jews, the Jewish hierarchy, the religious ones, did that they shouldn't have done. They had something else called the Talmud. They would have been much better off if they'd forgotten all about the Talmud 
and just stuck with the written word because the Talmud was the oral law. They just couldn't leave it alone. They couldn't just have God's written law. Oh, that's, that's important. It's powerful, but you know what? We got to add to it a little bit. So they started interpreting it. They started showing, well, this is how you do it. And that would become what is called to this day the Talmud. And it was, it covered centuries of rabbinical teachings. And they put this together the first time in a collection about the time Jesus was born, interestingly enough. Again, it's the Talmud. And let me tell you something. A huge part of the Mishnah, which is in the Talmud, is about the Sabbath. They had hundreds upon hundreds of Sabbath regulations. And let me tell you something else about breaking the Sabbath. It was serious enough that those who broke the Sabbath were in danger of being stoned to death. Capital punishment. The result of all of this was taking something very good, instituted by God, and making it very heavy. Making it a burden. Okay, why don't you turn now from the second book in the Old Testament to the second book in the New Testament. Starts with Matthew, and we go from Matthew to Mark. If you're not sure where that's at, that's okay. Look in your table of contents. It'll put you in the right place. We're going to look specifically at Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Let me tell you a little bit about something that's going on here before we jump into this. Jesus is traveling... He traveled from place to place. He was a sojourner. And he would go from place to place and he was traveling. Now, this is, this is just funny to me. I, I was like, how often did the Pharisees just follow Jesus around? Now, I do understand that sometimes they probably had grain fields close to a town or something like that. But it's just kind of funny to me that, that these, these watchdogs, if you will, are, are watching Jesus and his followers trying to catch him something, doing something wrong. And boy, they hit the jackpot that day. Because Jesus and his disciples are traveling beside a grain field, probably wheat or barley. Did you, I just question for you, did any of you ever make wheat gum when you were little? Anybody? Wheat gum? All right, were you massively disappointed by that? It is a lot of work to end up something with your mouth that tastes like rubber. Okay, I think when I was told about wheat gum when I was a kid that I thought just at some point, all the ma- it's like magic, it starts tasting like juicy fruit. Never happened for me. And then I get this, this rubbery substance in my mouth after working on it for like 30 minutes. All right, it's the reason I got TMJ these days because chewing wheat gum when I was a kid, all right? That's jaw problems. Anyway, anyway so and that's, that's what the disciples were doing. Now, they weren't trying to make gum. They just wanted something to eat. They're hungry. So they're walking along the edge of the field. They're picking Heads of grain, which is legal, by the way, according to Jewish law. And they are rubbing it, and they're putting the grain into their mouth. And the Pharisees are like, whoa, 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 Jesus. Today's the Sabbath. Your followers are working. You see, by picking the grain, guess what they were doing? Harvesting. They were harvesting grain on the Sabbath. And not only were they harvesting the grain, by rubbing it between their hands, they were threshing it. So, Jesus, your followers, are harvesting and threshing grain on the Sabbath. What are you going to do about it? Now, Jesus responds to them in this way. Another little bit more Jewish history. He goes to one of their heroes, a guy by the name of David. We call him King David, but he wasn't king yet. Matter of fact, he was on the run from the king, Saul. 
and Jesus and his followers were on the run. And on their run, they went by the, the tabernacle. There wasn't a temple yet, okay? Even David would build the temple. His son Solomon would. But they did have a tabernacle, and it was not in Jerusalem because there was no Jerusalem yet, all right? So at the priests at Nob were there. Abithar was the main priest. So Jesus, or Jesus, goodness, David and his band of merry men are coming by, all right? And they're hungry. They don't even have the weapons that they need. So they go and they try to get supplied there. And, and David asks the priest, he says, he says, we are, my men are hungry. We need something to eat. Do you have bread? Just some loaves of bread that we're not asking for much. And the priest's like, oh, sorry, we don't. We don't have, all we have is the showbread. Now the showbread basically amounted to this. All right, there was bread that was baked the first of the week and it was laid out inside the tabernacle before God. It was God's. It just, it sat there. That's, that's what it did. It was a very symbolic type of thing. Now, at the end of the week, they would replace that with other bread, and then the priests could eat the old bread. Sounds kind of funny. I know. But only the priests could eat it. So David asked the priest, we, can, do you have anything to eat? Do you, do you? It's like, well, we, we don't always got the show bread, and that's just for priests. And David says, give it to me. You see, David was the anointed of God. And he had the authority to tell the priests to give him the bread. So Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he says, what about your father, David? He ate the bread that wasn't for him. And he was not condemned by God for it. And then he moves on from there, and you can read about it in verses 27 and 28 of Mark chapter 2. And this is so very important. Jesus said to them, the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. It's like you guys got this backwards and this is messing everything up. And he says, not only that, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In this statement, and in the example that he gave, Jesus makes a couple things very clear. And I'm telling you what, this was incredibly controversial for the people he was speaking to. He says this, first of all, don't you get it? The Sabbath was made for man. It's not the other way around. The Sabbath was a gift of God and you have made it, you've made it a burden that nobody can carry. Not only that, he goes on to say, and this was a big deal, he says, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus says, Jesus' authority trumps any Sabbath regulation. And those are fighting words to these Pharisees. Matter of fact, when you see Jesus confronted by and Jesus confronting the religious leaders of his day, many, many of those times, it was because Jesus did stuff on the Sabbath he wasn't supposed to. How dare you heal someone on the Sabbath? Do it the next day. Come on, it's the Sabbath. And it made him angry. Right. Enough history. What does this mean for us? What does all this talk about Sabbath mean for us who are God's people 2,000 years later? And I'm pretty confident that the vast majority of this people in this room are Gentiles, not Jews. So, so what does this mean 
for us. You know what? One of my um, professors in college, he was actually um, the preaching, he's a New Testament professor, but also a preaching professor. He's the guy I learned how to preach from. I'm not going to give you his name because I don't want you mad at him. He's like, listen to that guy every Sunday. You didn't teach him very well. All right. So he told us, you know, in our, in our study, actually, of, of interpretation class, what is he even a preaching class? And, and he spoke about his dad. He was, this, this professor, who was also a preacher, was the son of a preacher. And his dad had a commitment. He would not go to a restaurant on Sunday. He just wouldn't do it. He kind of took this, he didn't want to make anybody work on Sunday. That was his point. And, and right or wrong, I can kind of see what he's saying there. He kind of, in some ways, you know, he was just wanting people to be able free to go to church. But he was also kind of taking a little bit of that Sabbath thing and applying it to, to Sunday, which actually the Sabbath was a Saturday thing. Sunday is the Lord's day. It's the first day of the week. So he had a little different perspective than probably many of us might have. So here's, what does this mean for us? Do we need to observe the Sabbath as God's people? If we are, is it, are you supposed to do it on, on Saturday or Sunday? How, how does that work? Does God still care that we rest? Is that important to God? And the most important question of all, preacher, can we go out to eat at El Pablitos after church? I'm telling you. Rest is important. And yes, you can go to El Pablitos after church. Just tip really good, because they probably know you came from church, all right? Rest is important. Are you a... We got any refresh punchers in here? You know? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but a lot of you do. That, that little, whether, whether you're looking at a computer screen or whether it's on a phone and, and it sometimes looks like a little circle with an arrow around it. Sometimes it actually says refresh, you know. And it's like, you're in the middle, like, I need more news. Like, I, you know, like it's March Madness and I can't watch the game, so I got to hit refresh, refresh, refresh to get the score, you know. And you just keep on doing it because it refreshes it and it brings up the new information, you know. And, and, and that's your thing. You're a refresh person, you know. Maybe you do it on Facebook. Refresh, refresh. What did they say about what I just said? Refresh, 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 all right? Wouldn't it be pretty awesome to have a refresh button on you? Like God designed us with a, like maybe on, on your shoulder. It's like, oh, I need a refresh. Okay, feeling good now. I mean, I don't know, guys. I, I, I might pay some money for that. You know what I mean? What happens to us when we don't take the time to slow down? I talked to a, a husband slash dad recently um, and he spoke with me this past week, and we were just, just sharing together, and he was being a little transparent about his life, and he said, you know what? He said, sometimes my anger gets the best of me, and, and I end up expressing it to people who don't deserve it, and lots of times the people I love most. And he said, a lot of the reason for it, I'll be straight with you, my schedule's crazy. Sometimes I just don't get the rest that I, that I really need to have. I, my schedule just doesn't allow it. He said, the result of that isn't always the best for, my, for me or my family. I realize that. I know it. I don't see a way out of it right now. I need to figure this out. See, rest is important, but it's, it's more than a physical refresh, 
all right? Even if we had a refresh button, it's more than that. And no, church, we have not been commanded to observe the Sabbath. We aren't Jews. We have not been commanded to do that. And something else about rest, though. We are to rest. And this rest is still connected. You know what the Sabbath was? Sabbath wasn't just the end of the week to just take a load off. That's not the sum total of what it was about. It was to focus on God and worship Him and thank Him. You see, rest is still connected to the worship of our Lord. Okay, turn a few pages back in your New Testament to Matthew chapter 11. We looked at Matthew 11 last week for a while. We're going to look at something a little different. We looked kind of at the middle of it last week as we were talking about wisdom. But this week, we're not looking at wisdom, we're looking at rest. So we're going to go a little more closely to the end Actually, the very end, almost, of, of Matthew chapter 11. And this is what it says. Last week, um, I told you that fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You see that a number of times in Proverbs. You see that explained elsewhere in the Bible. When you see that, I said, it's probably a good idea to highlight that one in your Bible or underline it or something. Eddie did that this past week. He showed me today that he had that highlight. Like, that's good, good. You know, get that focused on that because it's wisdom's pretty important, and we need to understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of that. This is another one worthy of highlighting. <laughs> All right. If you like to write in your Bible and you don't have it underlined yet, do it. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, Jesus speaking. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know, to, to see the fullness of what he's getting at here, you got to look at what's going on around it and what follows it. This is a powerful promise from God, from Jesus Christ. He says, come to me if you're tired, if you're weary. Come to me and I will give you rest. Rest from what? What type of rest is he talking about? This is the rest he's referring to. Rest from the burdens that we were never designed to carry. Folks, every one of us was created, was made in the image of God. And our ancestors of the longest time ago, we call them Adam and Eve, made in the image of God. And there was a burden laid upon their shoulders because of their choices that they were never designed or intended to carry. Jesus says, take that burden off and take my yoke upon you instead. And the burdens we're talking about here is the burden of sin, the burden of guilt as a result of that sin. We weren't designed for that. And Jesus says, 
Get rid of it. Are you weary? Are you tired? Get rid of it. Take my yoke upon you. The point isn't just shedding one burden and taking on another one, all right? That's not the point. It's like, what's the point of of getting rid of this burden if he's just going to throw another yoke on me? It's not about taking on another burden. The point of that is the proximity of what happens when you take upon you the yoke of Christ. We spoke about this a couple weeks ago. The yoke that he's talking about is made for two And when you take upon you the yoke of Christ, it puts you close to Jesus. And that's where we find our rest. You don't have to turn there, but the book of Hebrews is an amazing book of the Bible. We don't know exactly who wrote it. I'm so glad that God put upon the heart and inspired someone to put pen to paper and make this. I kind of think it was Apollos who wrote it, but we don't know. We don't know exactly who wrote it, but I am so glad it's a part of what we have, part of our Bible. What you have going on there, I'll make this really, really quick. Um, You have Jewish Christians. That's who it was written to. People who came out of Judaism with all the Sabbath keeping and everything else that came along with it, all right? The sacrificial system, all of those things. They came from that when they came to Jesus, Here was the issue. In that time, in that experience, Rome ruled the world for the most part. And it was becoming more and more difficult to be a Christian in the empire of Rome. You see, at first Rome thought that this Christianity thing was just a kind of a little subsect of the Jewish faith. But it was becoming more and more clear that it was something different. And then because of a series of of circumstances that took place, largely because of a foolish leader by the name of Nero, it was becoming more and more illegal to be a Christian. But guess what? It was still perfectly fine in the eyes of Rome to be a Jew. So therefore, you have people who are looking back over their shoulder to what used to be and thinking, maybe we need to go back to that. And the entire letter written to them that we call Hebrews is this. Why would you ever do that? Jesus is so much better. He fulfilled all of that. Don't leave him. He is the greatest. And when you get to Hebrews chapter 4, what you will find here is he's talking about, it's pretty amazing what you see here. You see him talking about the Sabbath, the author, saying saying that that God, you, you see the words again right out of Genesis. God did all of this on those six days and on the seventh day he rested. But that that wasn't that wasn't the true rest that was yet to come. And then he moves from that into a guy named Joshua. Moses led 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 Israel out of the nation of Egypt. Amazing thing. God working through him. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. An entire generation would never get to see the promised land. It wasn't that God just took him out of Egypt to take him out of Egypt. He was taking them somewhere, the promised land. An entire generation and even Moses himself, because of disobedience, were not going to get to get into that promised land. So the protege of Moses took over. His name was Joshua. But get this, Joshua took Israel in the promised land. They conquered it. And they were given this land flowing with milk and honey. And yet the author of Hebrews makes it pretty clear that even that, even that rest that was there in the promised land was not the ultimate rest that God had for his people. There would be another leader that would come along to provide that rest. And guess what his name was? 
Joshua. Now we call him Jesus, but in Hebrew, it's Yeshua. And Jesus would come along and he would give rest to the people. Jesus is the fulfiller of the promise of rest. Do you understand something? If you don't get anything else today, get this. As the people of God, Jesus is our rest. So when Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I will give you myself. I will give you my sacrifice. I will give you my holiness, bought and purchased with my blood. I will give you my purpose. I will give you my peace. Come to me, and I will give you my rest. This rest that we have, brothers and sisters, is enduring. It's a rest that can, can be experienced even in the midst of chaos in this world. It's that type of rest. It's that type of peace. But not only that, this rest is eternal. It'll last forever. You know, um, I talked about this a little bit last week, and, and it's kind of like the beat kind of goes on. This was the seventh week, if my, if my math is correct. This was the seventh week in a row that I've either been a part of a funeral service or gone to a funeral service. And so many times, for people, that is an incredibly difficult time. It is. And the thing on top of that is the fact we, we, we throw this terminology around. You'll even read it in obituaries at times. You'll read it on, on, on tombstones, little epitaphs in cemeteries. And many times it'll say something along these lines. So-and-so on this date entered rest. The reality, brothers and sisters, is the fact that not everyone enters rest when they bid this world goodbye. Because the rest comes only through Christ. And let me tell you something. He makes all the difference. He is the one that can give us peace and rest in the days of trouble. And I know there's people in this room who've experienced some of them recently. So we come to our time of communion. There's some things that we really need to focus on. Communion is, is, is something that's interesting. It's very serious and it's very joyful. And those are not in opposite realms, okay? At all. 
What I mean by that is this. There is, there is a time for joy when we commune with our Lord because of what he has done for us. Guys, I mentioned that. Jesus died to give us holiness. You see, that is an incredible requirement to be in heaven one day. You see, holy people could never exist eternally in the presence of God. And not only exist in his presence, but thrive in his presence. And that holiness is something we can never attain to on our own. It comes only through the blood of Jesus. Because of his perfect sacrifice, he makes us holy. When we are reborn into him. And when we come to our time of communion, we say thank you. Thank you so much for that, Lord. But today, there's something else we need to pray about in our time of communion, and it's this. Lord, don't, don't just give me your holiness, your peace, your rest. Give me your purpose. And reality is this, as I've already said, there are a lot of people on their way marching to the grave. And the result of that for them will not be rest because they don't know Jesus. What are we going to do about that? As JB says each and every Sunday, it's not our job to save anyone. That's Jesus' job. And he's good at it. He doesn't need any help from us to do the saving. What he does ask is we will proclaim the truth. Romans 10, faith comes by hearing. You know what follows that? How will they hear without a preacher? And he's not talking about somebody standing in a button-up shirt on a stage 2,000 years later, all right? He's talking about all of us to preach the message of Jesus Christ. To present that message in a powerful way because we back up our message with our behavior. And when we come to a time of communion, we need to look internally and see, do I share the burden of God for lost people? And if I don't have that burden, something's wrong. And if we are to ask God for that burden, that's a prayer he loves to answer. And it'll change us, brothers and sisters. And make us the messengers of God that he wants us to be.